I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to What Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the Northampton Town Audio Show, the podcast equivalent of the Marin Posgame Scissorkick. I'm Tom Reed, and tonight I'm joined by a group of guys who would definitely follow Cobblers over London Sea, including Ibiza in the case of Ian. It's Andy Bodfish, Martin Slugger Maloney, Ian Brandt and Jake the Snake Moore. How are you doing, guys? You all right? All right, mate, yes. Yeah. Good stuff, yeah. lads. Andy's fresh from Radio Northampton's Cobblers Show. Did a good little stint on that. How do you find that, Andy? Oh, um, yeah, you know, uh, rubbing shoulders with the big boys, Tom. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I just had a slice of orange straight over here, mate. <laughs> did you tell him about the story about when you um, saw yourself in Genoa? Did that, did that come up, that story? Yeah, it got cut out. <laughs> like your underpants, mate. <laughs> exactly. They just got slung, mate. <laughs> uh, what's your football moment of the week, mate? We've been doing this as a new little thing. What, yeah, I mean, to be fair, you put this uh, to us a while back, but I, I overlooked it. But I've just thought of one right now, and it's um, okay. just as I was deliberating on whether to, to sort of pay pay the, the tenor for the I follow for the Bristol City coverage. Scrolling up as you do on um, on Twitter, and the Radio Northampton commentator, who's a very good commentator by the way, um, posted a photo of his view at Ashton Gate. Now, as you know, you can quote tweet, and uh, Mr. Ian Brandt of this of this parish um, quote tweeted that view because you've got the far side of Ashton Gate, you know, the big stand there, and then just peering over the top, you've got some tower blocks. Yep. So, um, and basically, so Mr. Brandt um, quite um, correctly, in my view, quote tweeted. Um, the aforementioned Radio Northampton commentator's tweet and said, um, is that Nelson Mandela house you can see in the background? Which I thought was right. quite a niche reference, you know, referring to the fact Only Fools and Horses was filmed in Bristol and not Peckham and all the rest of it. And I, I buzz off trivia like that. So I, you know, I put the little red heart there. I liked it, as other people did. And then I'm, I'm, and I'm listening to the game simultaneously and kind of, you know, the, the way you've, you've got this thing going on about your, your phone spying on you. And then I, t- I turn around to just tend to the pastor and Tim Oglethorpe um, says, and, uh, you know, just above the uh, above the far side, we can see the uh, where they filmed Only Fools and Horses. And that for me was my moment of the week. And it's all down to Mr. Brandt there. 
And so we, it was actually the place where they where they filmed Nelson Mandela House. Or well, just, over to Ian. Like um, yeah, it, it, it basically because when Ninety Fools and Horses got really popular, they could no longer film in London because you know they had punters coming up to them and wanting Dell's autograph and whatnot. Um, I wouldn't. I'm not taking credit for that for Moglethorpe. He is as well as being the cobbler's uh, commentator. Commentator. He is also the uh, the writer of. Tim Oigelford's TV talk in the Daily Mail weekend magazine. <laughs> so if anybody is going to know about Only Fools and Horses filming locations and the, them being in the vicinity of Ashton Gate, it's Tim Oigelthorpe. I think Ian's right with uh, Mr. Uh, Daily Mail uh, TV section. I reckon uh, Tim, Tim will know his stuff on that one. And let's face it, it's Only Fools that will never watch the cobblers anyway. So boom, boom on that one. Martin Slugger Maloney, a baseball superstar. How's your week been? What, what have you picked out for your football moment of the week? Um, well, it's an odd one. I was, I was racking my brains. Um, there haven't been too many spectacular things, but I was sat, I was sat in the in the Ecton one, uh, my my lo- my local pub, and I think it may have been um, Monday or ch- Monday or Tuesday, just at, um, after after work, and a lad who runs one of the football teams was was talking to a guy who came back from injury. Oh, you're marking that lad that used to play for the Cobblers. And he threw this name at me. He said, oh, Mark something or other. And I'm like, sure. He said, yeah, yeah, I think he plays St Ives now. So some lad who I go in the pub with, because Mark Richards plays for, um, I don't know, Denton Old Old Boys or some some local team on Sundays, (laughs) he's got a mark someone who was banging goals away in League Two two years ago. And I thought, yeah, I'm glad I play veterans now. <laughs> Imagine that. I, I just think like Mark Richards is still fairly sort of, you know, mobile. Yeah, you would, you would, you would imagine. I, I had to mark Scott Cross many years ago, who had put on yeah. a considerable amount of amount of weight, but was still an incredible footballer and a really nice bloke. And Mark Richards yeah. is still in fantastic shape from what I said, what I've seen. Fair play, yeah, and you've just uh, come back to the club to so coach the uh, youth team. So, yeah, I wouldn't want to sort of mark him on a Sunday morning after a skin fall. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Ian, how's it going, buddy? What's your what's your football moment of the week from the crazy world of, of football? And by the way, I've just thought of a name for this week's um, podcast, Only Fools and Horseful. Okay. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Mine one's a TV one as well. It's a uh, former England ladies player, Alex Scott, taking over from poor Sue Barker as um, question of sport host. Now, as a Cobblers fan, I'm quite used to a lot of reactionary right wing views on social media. But there was a lot of poisonous vitriol aimed at poor Alex this morning. I saw one one person tweet, oh, you know, how was Alex um, Scott? qualified in any way what does she know about sport what experience has she got about sport and presenting a sports quiz and someone pointed out straight away 140 appearances for England ladies and she's got a qualification in journalism um, <laughs> but but apart from that apart from that you know I mean <laughs> what's she like a banter with Matt Dawson Ian this is the thing but those, like... those two are getting those two are being like you know, they're being put out to pasture as well, and you oh, know, yeah, okay, they are all three of them. And then, but a lot of these people, it's a bit like I don't want to go off on a rant, but a lot of these people, they 
they they don't watch Doctor Who, but they don't want a female Doctor Who. They don't. They never watched last night at the proms, and they were ranting about Lambda Hope and Glory. And they probably yeah. don't even watch Crash of Sport either. So you know, mind your own business. Let Alex get on with it. It'll be fine. And yeah, that's my TV highlight of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good year, Ian. Now, Jake, what's your uh, uh, football moment of the week, or just a moment of the week generally? Well, I mean, I'm hoping that my moment of the week makes it into Tim Oglethorpe's uh, Daily Mail column. Um, I've been uh, I've been in Edinburgh, and um, I flew up. And before I'm getting on the plane, like yeah. my, girl, my girlfriend, um, she's sort of saying, she's explaining about like you know situations in the past where people have got onto like an airplane and they're feeling you know maybe a little bit sort of you know maybe got food poisoning something like that. And I'm kind of quite an anxious flyer anyway, so you know I'm I'm the sort of person who go to the toilet for a wee three times before it takes off just so I don't like piss myself when the plane's taken off. And I'm kind of like so this is in my in the back of my mind all weekend all weekend. And I kind of just spend like a whole weekend in Edinburgh kind of drinking and eating eggs, which I don't really do these days as I kind of like try and be a sort of as close to a vegan as I possibly can. Gets to about half an hour before we're about to get on the tram back to the airport. And my um, brother, my guts started gurgling. Uh, what is basically what I'm saying. And I get very panicky. I'll go quiet as well. She's like, you all right? You all right? I'm like, I think, I'm gonna, like, I think I've got the shits. Like, and I kind of, but then I get kind of like nervous and scared thinking, do you get like a fe- do you get a fever from food poisoning? Are they going to let me on this plane? Are they going to say like, oh, we think you've got coronavirus, so I'm going to have to like reason with them, say no, it's just it's just the shits, it's just the shits. Will you let me on? So I'm kind of panicking and like because she's quite well prepared. She's got like one tiny emodium left in her purse, so I'm like, well, I'm not taking any chances. I'm going to just take this emodium now. And I'll be honest with you, boys, I'm still not regular, and this is like four days ago. So I'm kind of. Uh, you know, people have accused me of talking shit in the past, but I think now we're at a real, a real crossroads of that. So that's my, that's my football moment of the week, and I hope that Tim Oglethorpe will take the time to put in his Daily Mail column. It's, it's a brilliant football moment of the week with mm. no actual football in there. I reckon what you should do, you know, to try and relieve yourself is maybe just start eating pickled eggs. Just nothing but pickled eggs for a week. That sounds horrible. I won't, I won't be doing that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh yeah i think uh it, it's not gonna like play on my mind now you've given me that anxiety next time i go on the plane i'm gonna have that problem i think everyone is mm. <laughs> in their little bag but yeah um that was a good one and like from one um shit performance to another it's <laughs> 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 uh, another go that's one of my best links i, I just love oh, awesome. this, um, this is award-winning stuff yeah bristol <laughs> Bristol City, we played them in the League Cup. It was a bit of a hide into nothing, literally, but came away on the end of a 4-0 fresh. And I don't know if anyone actually managed to watch it, but um, what what struck, you know, stood out for me was not just the scoreline, but the um, the percentage of possession we actually had. At one point, we were down to 22% of possession, which uh, I think is might be a record. It's just sort of like so it's so low. Does it even count as football anymore? Are you actually in the game, or are you just like a <laughs> Just, just watching like, like we were. Did, did anyone? Did you watch anything, Martin? Did you catch it? Uh, no, no. I, mean, I saw saw the stats, the goals go in the report. I I don't want to get too exercised about about the numbers or the competition. Playing a team two divisions above, their second string a lot better than Cardiff's second string. Yeah. And you know, we while he didn't have too many options to move players about. I think sometimes we see things like um, the couple of the youngsters getting a run, you know, 
uh, Chukwumika getting a start, uh, Ethan Johnson coming on. I think they can sometimes be the little the little victories you take out of things. You know, a game that we weren't probably ever going to win. Sounds like they made a really good fist of it until half time. Um, but you know, a bit like whenever Ivan Tony made his first appearance off the bench, I'm, I'm trying to think we're a South End in a defeat. It's those little things. Maybe you know, maybe something grows from that. But yeah, I don't, I don't think we should, we should be too energised, too enamoured. We've had a a really good win in the cup against a team who had an off day. We've had a fairly entertaining draw with some ropey defending, but we come back twice, and we've had a bit of an abject performance away against a very good side. So, yeah, I'd say don't get too excited about any, don't get too down about them. The whole trip was just a ruse, so, you you know, the whole club could do the only Fools and Horses studio tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe some of them just didn't even turn up to the game. They were just uh, it, the, walking around the sites of uh, uh, Nouveau Peckham. Wasn't that Del Boy's um, blow up bowls playing centre half for us? <laughs> wasn't that what? Del Boy's blow up bowls from that famous episode. Weren't, weren't they playing at centre half for us? They were that effective. <laughs> you needed Rodney just coming out of the phone booth and kicking the ball back to Del on the Jolly Boys outing, you know, just before the. Um, the coach blows up. Anyway. Uh, yeah. We'll check, we'll check this week weekend to see if there's actually any life in these players or they just blow up dolls. Okay, then it's good to welcome Ollie Warner from successful Shrewsbury Town podcast, Salopcast, ahead of Saturday's clash against the Shrews. How are you doing, Ollie? You all right? Yep, very well, thank you. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury? Shrewsbury, yeah. Shrewsbury. Bit of a bit of a political one that one, isn't it? I think uh, the more posh types will call it Shrewsbury. <laughs> yeah, the BBC unfortunately pronounced it wrong as well, which doesn't help. <laughs> well, that's sorted out once and for all now. It's it's good to talk to you ahead of uh, Saturday's game. We've played each other numerous times over years. We're sort of old foes, really, but the game's got a bit of spice around it because actually we're both been mentioned sadly for relegation odds, and um, you've obviously got. Aaron Pierre, the very capable centre-back who used to play for us and, and signed for you. He's suspended head of the game, is that right? Yeah, he isn't very unfortunate. Um, his colleagues let him down. Um, so, yeah, yeah central midfielder made a bad pass to central defender and central defender kind of fluffed it up. Mebex um, uh, Landon messed it up and then Pierre had to kind of take one for the team. So he was not very impressed with his colleagues <laughs> as he trudged off the pitch. So, yeah, he's our best defender. So that's disappointing for us that he'll be, he'll be missing. Yeah, he. I was I was quite annoyed when he, he left us. It was for one of those uh, undisclosed fees, but I'm not sure the fee was particularly huge to go to you. And how has he done so far for you guys? Obviously, best defender, that might answer itself, but... Yeah, he was player of the year last season. Um, we do a we do the way we do our kind of man of the matches. We always do like a vote every game, and each player gets ten, five, three points. And he won our Salakas player of the year, and he won the fans player of the year, and I think he's even the players player of the year. So he took the free the, the clean sweep. Um, yeah, he's very good at this level. Yeah, a very good footballer. And with all all due respect to Shrewsbury, we were sort of slightly disconcerted that we hadn't sort of sold him on maybe to a high, maybe even a higher division because we had sort of pretensions of uh, League One ourselves. But uh, obviously he, he saw it as a step up in his career for you guys and this has gone from strength to strength. So we can't really argue with that at all. Um, let's move on to, um, you've got a you've got a fan pilot going on this weekend, which is really quite exciting in, in a number of ways. Uh, the, the attendance is capped at a thousand. 
Um, yep. I just think it's quite interesting that Shrewsbury seem quite a progressive club in terms of you had the safe standing pilot, which is really successful, and you've got safe standing there, and you were chosen for this uh, this fun pilot for you know COVID nineteen safe matching inverted commas. So that's a bit of a feather in your cap, really. Yeah, it's testament to um, like a group of people. So we've got um, two guys um, who to do this kind of like fans, but run the kind of do the supporters liaison officer job. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah. So those guys lead that. Um. And they actually led. It wasn't actually led by the club. It's actually led by the fans for the safe standing. So I'm not surprised actually that Shrewsbury, which might sound funny to to your listeners and to neutral fans, why Shrewsbury are able to pull this off and Luton and Hull can't. If you imagine the amount of work that was required to get safe standing in a modern all-seater stadium passed, and all the meetings and all the hoops. Um, you have to kind of get through and then also the relationships that the team and the ceo and the safety officer at the club have kind of built um i know they were meeting again at like 2 30 today um so yeah those guys are really really experienced skilled and yeah pretty headstrong in terms of getting stuff achieved so i'm not surprised and if i'm honest i'm not sure shooter fans really appreciate it enough it's something we're definitely going to cover on sunday um, and give those guys a big kind of um, a round of applause for for what they've done because yeah it's one of those things isn't it you don't really necessarily appreciate the kind of work that goes in the background. No, not I think it it reflects really well on the football club when when you do these progressive things for fans, i.e. safe standing or even this these these pilot games it it get it gets good PR and it just shows that the the club is quite dynamic to an extent in terms of its preparedness for stuff because. It's only a couple of days before the game, and there's going to be a hell of a lot of work going in preparing the stadium. Um, I saw the Cambridge pilot, and there's, you know, there needs to be all signs put in and stuff, and don't go this way, don't go that way, and various yeah. health and safety protocols. So it's going to yeah, be- I think our great our stadium, our stadium isn't the same as yours, but it has some similar characteristics and wide, um, obviously spaces by the side of the stadiums, and those things really help you because you can have um, flows and I think that's what's helped us get the get this um, this pilot through is we've got the space to kind of do in and outlets um, and we've got big gates at the sides so I think that's helped us get these through I think that's why probably Premier League clubs are going to struggle because yeah they're all seater and they're obviously filled in all the corners yeah I guess the stadium as well is not it's not in the, the, the town centre I think the old gay meadow used to be a bit more central didn't it yeah that would never happen there <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. I was speaking to a couple of people about because Northampton will probably try and uh, apply for it ourselves. And one of the questions that came up was, is actually what is in it for the football club? Because I think actually a couple of clubs have actually sort of they they applied for it and they said no, we don't actually want to do it now. But so there's there are question marks in terms of if you've only got a thousand fans, you, I take it that it's going to be filled with your season ticket holders have already paid yeah. their money, so it's not going to be really any money new no. money coming in. And there's going to be costs associated with holding the game. You need you need to staff in, you need to all the preparedness uh, funding and stuff. But I guess the, the overall conclusion is that you've got to clubs have got to do this a thousand pilot to allow the doors to be open exactly. five to you know four thousand or whatever, and just to up it. And some some clubs are after, going to have to front it, you know, to get it done. Yeah, I guess we're taking one for the team and in that sense for the league. But yeah, you're right. You, you, the local authorities um, and the government are only going to give you. Because um, apparently there's going to be auditors there at the weekend, um, checking how we're doing. So yeah, you need to prove, I think, to uh, to get to push on. And yeah, like you say, one thousand, two thousand, um, and then yeah, we can fill. So we're, I think, basically about a third of season ticket holders will be able to get in um, on Saturday. 
Um, so yeah, it was a first come first serve basis. Yeah, let's move on to um, you know your 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 new signings this season. Uh, every club brings in a few players in the preseason. Probably not as many as you might have hoped for, like Northampton. But um, who have you brought in in preseason? We've got a player on loan called um, from High. Um, from Huddersfield um, and he looks a really really good player he scored an absolute screamer um, away at Middlesbrough in the, in the League Cup yeah so he's definitely a player to keep high at, an eye out a very industrious kind of box-to-box midfielder um, who's um, yeah looks like quite a good, a good loan signing is it yeah, Scott High that is is it he, yeah he, Scott High yeah yeah and uh, I've been told about an, a defender actually you've got is he another Logie Aaron Fossey yeah, he's on loan, a right-back we've got on loan from Fulham. Okay. He's really highly rated by Fulham. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to the Fulhamish podcast, and they said that um, if he hadn't had a, he had a bad knee injury, um, um, if he hadn't had the injury, um, he would have been, they reckon he'd have been around their first team. He's an American. Um, he's played for American um, youth teams. Um, okay. And, yeah, we've got him on loan. So, I guess it's, yeah, got him on loan for the season, and I think they're hoping that they'll be able to take him back and maybe kind of get near their first team. So, he's someone f- to keep an eye on. Talk us through um, what system you play because I've heard sort of very, you, you can vary it slightly. I think there was a three four three on the go and uh, a five four one. Is that right? Yeah. So the Shrewsbury have been given um, a low expectation this season, and I'm fairly confident we're going to finish mid table. Um, last season, basically, Sandbridge came in the year before last. We were conceding goals um, like it was going out of fashion. We had John Askey, who's now at Port Vale, yep. and. We were an absolute mess. And basically, he went to three at the back because of that issue to give us some solidity. Now, unfortunately, what happened is we kind of went too far. Um, we were the second lowest goal scorers in the league. We scored less scored less than a goal a game. So that means that, you know, if you're looking at um, predicting this season, you look at how many goals we scored last season and you think we're going to be really defensive. But actually, after we'd kind of got knocked out of the FA Cup, um, we reverted. We went to a different formation, started playing 4-3-3 and started having some results and won away at Bristol Rovers last year before um, before COVID cut the season off. So we started the season playing 4-3-3 again this year and it's really, really fluid. So against Middlesbrough, we actually scored a 20-pass sequence where our left-back passed the ball across the box from the right-hand side to the striker to put in the back of the net. Nice. So I'm not saying we're necessarily going to do that against you on Saturday, but that's our intention. So... Yeah, I, I understand why the experts and kind of the neutrals are predicting us to be really defensive, but that's not how we're going to play this year. Now, have, not having Aaron Pierre there and his pace is maybe make us a little bit less um, gung-ho. But yeah, we're going to be playing 4-3-3 um, with like Jason Cummings on the wing cutting in. Um, it's not going to be as defensive, well, hopefully not as we saw last season, because last season was very, very boring. Yeah, that one might be a slight concern for for me. Um, for your listeners, we we're quite wed, wedded to a wing back system, and uh, Keith Curl, you know, he tends to sometimes flog a dead horse in terms of in terms of the tactics. Yeah, last season, it was ultra effective, to, especially towards the end, where we sort of overwhelmed, you know, Cheltenham did did so well in the playoffs, but um, we we lost for Dane Oliver up front, who who kept made the ball stick and. Uh, up top and against um, uh, Bristol City last night, or sorry, the other night in the um, in the League Cup, just the ball just wasn't being retained up front, and uh, we we only managed like twenty twenty two percent of possession. And 
I'm always a bit concerned about a fluid team against Northampton because we've got three new centre backs uh, in, in the back three, and uh, my my one concern was if you bring three whole, whole new centre backs in for a new season in League One, where you which is quite alien to you, is it going to take a while for them to gel? And Bristol City really sort of tore them apart. So if you've got a good movement and you can sort of get in behind the wing backs and sort of nudge those three centre parts uh, backs apart, I would say that was our our biggest weakness but we're, we're a very combative side and we're sort of up for it and we, we you know we, we, we try and press a lot in the in the league game so we don't make it easy it's just that little bit of quality and you know ball retention up front I would be concerned with I don't know about uh, what you can offer in that respect. Yeah I think it's gonna be very interesting game because we struggled against some of the more direct sides so last year we beat Coventry and um, we beat Peterborough and we beat you know we had very good success against the teams in the top half and those teams that play football. Um, and so we beat, so we drew with um, Liverpool, a good Liverpool side at our place in the FA Cup, and then went to Gillingham on the Tuesday night, who just kicked the ball forward and played very direct, a bit yeah. like how you did in the playoffs. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting game, because if I was a Northampton fan, I'd, and you're hearing that, I'd have some hope. But obviously, you've lost your best central defender and your striker. It kind of, yeah, it's yeah, it's not good when you lose two of your best players. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how Shrewsbury start. Are we going to be running at you from the the off, which I'd hope? Um, so I think it's going to be quite an interesting tactical game. Um, and it's going to be, a, it's, from my point of view, it's a game that Shrewsbury really need to win um, because we got a good draw away at Pompey. But without being rude, if we want to finish mid-table, we need to be we need to be winning our we need to winning our home games, and the sooner we start winning, the better. Yeah, and I think that for us, really. We want to be looking at survival and maybe a little bit of consolidation, maybe you know lower to mid table outside the, the the relegation zone. And and you're an obvious scout that we need to be to be winning. So I think both teams are gonna are gonna go for it. It's just gonna be a bit of a cat and mouse, I think, in terms of maybe your more fluid style and our our direct approach, which oh, it pays dividends, especially in terms of set pieces and stuff. We're very strong at set, set pieces, very like very organised, harry the ball really well, and we just try and sort of force you into mistakes. So it's going to be a bit quite an intriguing tussle, I think. I think that the most important thing is that Northampton needs to, for one or two seasons, stay in League One. We've often dropped out straight away or we struggle staying in League One. So, you know, I don't know what you can you can offer us in terms of advice in staying in League One. What, what would you say... It, a team will need to, to sort of consolidate in League One like Northampton. Yeah, we've been in League One for a few years now, as I said earlier. Um, for me, we haven't we haven't had a, a kind of great goal scorer. Even this season, we did really well. I don't think having a, a, a goal scorer is is the be all and end all. I think it's having a team that can score lots of different ways. I think taking advantage of set pieces um, and having midfielders and defenders and strikers that all contribute. Is going to mean so we finished 15th last season and our top scorer had four goals okay so we had quite a lot of players on four or three goals mm-hmm. so for me i wouldn't say for any team you know okay you, you know not every team is going to get an ivan tony i think having a team that can score and you have different scores on the on the team sheet is probably going to be more successful um over the course of the season than having one striker because you know if you're rochdale and you lose a henderson type and all your goals have gone from your team. So it'd be interesting to say, for example, to see how Rochdale get on. We're not reliant, haven't been reliant on one player. Um, you know, having your top scorer of four goals is pretty atrocious. Um, but it's still it's still enables to score enough goals to finish mid-table. So I think it's having team goals from all 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 areas of the pitch, I think, is, is key for success in League One. 
And I don't know how good your goalkeeper is. Um, I think is it Arnold? Does Arnold actually start as your first choice? He does. He does. There's some sort of um, argument about whether he he should be the first choice, and I'm not. I wouldn't say he's the uh, you know nailed down for a start, but I would okay. at the moment he's he's first choice. Because if he was my goalkeeper, I would be concerned. And one of the the best things that we've had and worked really well for us in the last three years is signing a championship level goalkeeper. And so we had Dean Henderson. Um, a couple of years ago, obviously, you know, Dean Henderson, and he was amazing for us. Literally ridiculous, some of the saves he made. And then last year, we had um, O'Leary on loan from Bristol City. Okay. Um, and this season, we've got um, Sarsvich on loan from Wolves, who was at Villa. And he played on Saturday after one training session, and he was really good. So for me, I think there's two things I'd say is you need to survive in League One is goals from all areas and having a championship-level goalkeeper. The same thing happened to Wimbledon. Not last season, the season before, they were looked like they were going to go down, and they signed a championship level goalkeeper, and he was a, a big part of them staying up. In fairness, we have got a guy called Jonathan Mitchell on loan from Derby, who's okay. Yeah, Mitchell's a good goalkeeper. I recognise that name. Yeah, chap- so you'd imagine he's going to start then. Yeah, he, he, well, it's difficult because you know, in all, all intents and purposes, Arnold would be the number one starter but Jonathan Mitchell with his you know pedigree in terms of coming through uh, we had him on loan I'm sure at some point I'm sure we've had him on loan at some point he seems to be quite a good shot stopper but yeah we're slightly unsteady at the back and sometimes you don't know where the unsteadiness comes from does it come from the the defenders it come from sort of a goalie who's not maybe commanding his box enough or whatever but it's defense is a a cause cause for good sound we ship for against Bristol City it's no you know shame but that would be a slight area of concern, but it's going to take us a while to grow into the league and stuff. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't write us off or anything. I'm just slightly concerned at going into. I think it's going to be um, a crazy season, and that we don't do season, we don't do one to twenty four predictions, um, because most of the time you're going to be wrong. And I think it's one of those crazy seasons. Um, you know, you can be in trouble now, um, and, and that's why Tranmere's argument was actually quite strong, because. Right. You know, you can be in the relegation zone at January and be fine by Christmas. I remember Warsaw fans were near the playoffs um, going into Christmas and they got relegated. So, cool. yeah, I, it's a long, as you know, guys know, it's a really, really long season. Um, and yeah, January transfer window probably could be just as important as the summer one. And obviously the sun transfer window doesn't end for ages. So it could be your first team and our first team could be quite different when we get to October. We're looking forward to the game on Saturday from the Northampton end because we've got a bit of a place in our heart for Shrewsbury. We played you back in 1993, the last game of the season. Came down from two, came back from 2-0 down, 1-3-2. I don't know if you were supporting it back then, maybe a bit too young for it, but uh, it was a, a game that's really fondly remembered in, in Northampton because we just managed to avoid relegation to the conference at Gate Meadow. I don't remember that game, to be honest. Um, was, what, what year did you say it was 2003? No, 93. 90, oh, 93. Oh, 93. Um, no, I was, well, yeah, I'd have been about 11 then, so, you know, I can't remember that one. Do you remember the Gay Meadow ground there? Did you ever go? A... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a mascot there when I was six. And, yeah, I remember I remember going to the Gay Meadow. I actually left Shrewsbury when I was six years old, but oh. I would come back all the time. Um, and then when I started work, um, I um, I had my first job and I yeah, started supporting Shrewsbury when, this, when we moved to the new stadium, so I never had a season ticket at the Gay Meadow. Yeah, it was just uh, it's just a very sort of characteristic ground, quite small. It was yeah, it was really nice, and it had all the pubs and stuff in town, um, and it was great for that. 
Um, but yeah, it's much better pre post and pre-match experience from where we are now. Uh, yeah. It's not as good, which is a shame. But we sold it for 13 million and built our stadium with no debt at all. So it did work out well for us. Yeah, and you. To be fair, you're you're doing pretty well now. Um, thanks for the insights into the no game. Problem. Thanks for having me. Good, and it's just really good to talk um, talk about football and the sort of landscape, financial landscape, and just hopefully this um, trial goes really well for you on Saturday. And you know, fingers crossed, it all goes well, and you can get a few more fans in going forward. Yep. No, yeah, it should be good. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a bit weird, but yeah, after nearly 190 days, it'd be nice to be back at a football game. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, thanks a lot, and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Bye, bye. Yeah, let's move on to the super sub feature, which we did last week. It was actually quite good fun. Actually, we basically what we do is we we looking at um a Twitter site called Cobbers Programs who tweets sort of random programs, and we swap out three players from the Northampton team and put in three uh, players from this particular team that we're going to choose and that team comes from the year 2000 and a game from Saturday the 16th of September so you know quite sort of uh, uh, relevant in terms of the date Nationwide Football League Division 2 Northampton Down v Notts County Cobblers 1-0 winners and with the goal scored by Steve Howard attendance 5703 at Six Fields and I'll just read through the team in goal was Keith Welch uh, and then there was Ian Hendon John Frain, obviously Frainy, thought left back. Ian Sampson, Lee Howie, Duncan Spedden, one of the podcast favourites, David Savage, I think he's an Irish midfielder, James Hunt, steady centre midfield, Steve Howard, uh, Marco Gabardini, sort of name precedes, precedes him, Roy Hunter, Richard Dryden, now that's a new one for me, that's one for the uh, Forgotten Cobblers, Jake might remember him. John Hodge, Adam Sullet. Oh. I could go into great detail about Richard Dryden, but I'll, uh, okay, I'll, we'll do that I'll, in a second. I'll talk when talking to. Yeah, okay. Uh, Gary Hughes, another one. Richard Hope. So there's some interesting names in there. Jamie Forrester, a bit of a ledge. Andy Morrow, who I think Jake knows a little bit about. Chris Hargreaves, so no more. Richard Green, Kevin Wilson, James Gold. He's a youth team player, and Ryan Thompson. So we'll actually we'll go we'll go to uh, we'll go you first, Ian. What three players from that team would you swap into the Cobblers team now? What a choice! There's plenty of them, isn't there? Um, I think I think Welch would definitely we could definitely do with a steady, uh, reliable keeper. He was decent, yeah. wasn't he, at the back? Um, I mean, Steve Howard. He played it played at the in the top flight. So can't we? Well, they didn't we sell him for a ridiculously low fee to Luton? Didn't he go for like? something like 75 grand and then they sold him to Derby for over a million I think we Usual. sold him I think we bought him for 75 grand and we sold him for 100 and something but not a lot I could talk I, about that I think it's the other way around I think because I think he was he was close on a record sign so I think it was 125 we paid and oh, it was okay. like 50 or 75 we got I think he was coming to the end of his contract and yeah however yeah. how how brilliant Howard was he just scored so few goals yeah. it's it amazing well, I sent a forward that be that good for that long and have so few goals now. but he clearly added that when he went to Luton and then on to bigger things afterwards to be fair though he didn't he didn't use he didn't use to start that often did he he used to be on the bench quite a lot and then 
I remember a few times he came on and got a, a late goal. So yeah, that's two. I think Roy Hunter. I think he's. Um, I think the work rate that he put in could would do a job for for any cobbler's team. So there's my three. Yeah, he was. Um, he's really good to talk to, and he he, cl- he clearly loves like loved playing for the club, and he gave up his shirt, didn't he? For when we were in financial trouble, they sold the shirt and stuff. So he's a Hunter's a bit of a ledge in my opinion. I'll just quickly tell mine because mine probably aren't that interesting, but I'm going to have to go for John Hodge, Hodgey, the right midfielder. I just thought it was like a, just a brilliant chalk on your boots winger who could whip a ball in. And he was quite podgy, wasn't he? Podgy Hodgey we talked about it before with um, Jefferson, but just a, a really good player that had all those skills that a right winger needed. Um, big, big fan of um, John Hodges, my mate Phil Garlic as well. He'll be pleased with that one. Then I'm going to go probably... Jamie Forrester because he was signed from FC Utrecht for any uh, football hipsters just loved that and he was just a brilliant fox in the box would score some goals and then let's just go let's I'll go in Hemden actually right back I thought he was really quite a solid player actually I thought he was really quite useful I think he came from Barnet quite cultured right back and just was one of those sort of good signings that I mean I think it was Ian Atkins made or Kevin Wilson at the time but yeah some really good players Um, let's go with you Martin um, so I've gone for three, and there were a decent choice here, wasn't there? There was there's some good lads I've left out that from I can imagine programs have come up for other years, and I'd want to be like moving a few from if this particular one. I'd start off though, um, the Ian said it Keith Welsh. I mean, not just good, best keeper I've ever seen play for the Cobblers by oh. a mile. I think Welsh was fantastic. Um, career ended, I think, he with injury and that when he was with us, but he was out of this world. He'd been improvement any, on any any cobbler side I've seen. So he he was the second name on my team sheet. Third name was Samo. Um, I think Samo was just you know played would play 40, 40, 43, 44 games every season. So consistent a leader, dominant. I think he'd totally fit in with how Curl likes to have defenders who want to defend. Um, I think he, he would he would add to anything. Um, and certainly if you've got young defenders like um, Rakic and that, he'd be a great guy to look up to. True. And then the final one, and he's one of my favourite players ever to play with the Cobblers, um, Marco Gabbiadini. You... Yeah. You would change how you play to have that guy. You know, you would make your team fit around Gabbiadini with the the skills, the movement, all the stuff he's got. Not just with the goals, but the passing, the positioning, just bringing other players in. I, th- I think a wonderful, wonderful player that would would improve again a bit like Welsh would improve any cobbler's side. Yeah, that's some. Um... Real, real quality in your choices, and I know you're a big fan of Marco Gabbiadini. I think you're angling for that staying in his B&B, free, free night in the B&B line. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Well, if we ever, you know, if we, if York City ever get themselves back up, I'm sure, or someone around there, we might have to have to do that. <laughs> but some real, uh, real quality, and probably a bit of a tough act for you to follow, Andy, in terms of uh, you. This is sort of the tail end of your. Cobbers watching, wasn't it? But it's quite a few names you recognise. Yeah, I mean that's a bit of a crossover uh, sort of period because I, I moved abroad that summer. So because I mean 
Kevin Wilson would have to be in there for me for all sorts of uh, emotional reasons. I got on quite well with him back in the day when I used to go yeah. down there quite a bit and speak to people at the uh, pub. And, um, you know, obviously there was the Chicago rock scene as well uh, that uh, Kevin and a few others shared. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, he was an all-action guy. I mean, player-manager that season as well, 99-2000 promotion winning season, I think. Um, and, I mean, Roy Hunter, again, favourite player of mine back in the day. And not much to add, really. I mean, Marco Gabbiadini, I know that Martin has just said it again. He mentioned it a few weeks ago as well, didn't we, when we were talking about all-time players. Because Marco Gabbiadini, I think, was, um, I don't know, like a sort of reminder of how things come round in football. Because I remember Marco Gabbiadini, I'm sure, playing for Sunderland back in the late 80s. In, yeah. that, um, in that season after, you know, the great car season. So that would have been... So 87, 88, when we were gunning for promotion and the playoffs and whatnot. And there was the 3-1 defeat at Roker Park towards the end of the season, which which kiboshed the chance of getting into the playoffs that year. And yeah. I, I remember uh, Gabby Adini playing for Sunderland then. I think scoring in a 2-0 win at the county ground that season as well. Oh, and then oh, kind yeah. of, uh, yeah, and then sort of, you know, almost a decade I don't know, a decade and a bit later, he's turning out for you, which was um, a bit of a buzz. So, yeah, I mean, I like Gabbiadini as well. Um, beautifully described by Martin there is uh, his skill set and what he meant to the club. Uh, Roy Hunter, all action, brilliant. As we've said a few times before, could have been the, the team's first million pound signing and all that. Um, yeah. And yeah, good, 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 old, good old Kev, Kev Wilson. Why not? There are some good ones, and uh, I'm pretty sure they could all demolish a sizzling player at um, Chicago. So that stands in the interest. <laughs> now, um, Jake, this this is tailor made for you because I I don't think there's anywhere one in the world that knows more about Cobblers circa year 2000 than you. So a lot of those players which I'm scratching my head at, you're just like it's music to your ears, isn't it? Richard Dryden. Yeah, could tell uh, you could tell you something about absolutely all of them. I remember once about 10, 12 years ago sitting at work and a, and a ladder, a good ladder I sat next to was a big Cobblers fan and I was able to name the entire squad list with the numbers off the top of my head for this uh, particular year, 2000, 2001. I remember the game itself. You remember the game v Notts County? Yeah, I do, because Steve Howard scored. I think it was a second half goal. Actually, was it a second half goal? Because I think it was down the, um, the south end. Um, but I remember it because I think it was Richard Dryden, maybe his first game. Because we were light at the at the back, and Richard Dryden, I think, was on loan from Southampton, okay. and and Ian Hendon, Ian Hendon ended up going to Sheffield Wednesday not too long after this. On um, it weren't like transfer deadline day, but it was like a sort of autumn transfer. And he went to Wednesday we were in the Championship um, for I think quite a decent bit of money at the time, maybe sort of seventy seventy five grand or something. Yeah, and uh, we never replaced Ian Hendon. That was again kind of the start of it all for me. Realizing the Cobblers, they don't replace players. I think they went in originally. They decided they were going to go with Gary Hughes. He was going to replace um, Ian Hendon. He was a young lad who would come through the youth team. He was going to play at right back, and he weren't doing too bad. And then he had a, quite a bad performance. I can't remember who against. And then they went through like a list of low knees. I think they started off with Liam Chilvers, who ended up having a half decent career. I yeah. think of Colchester and Preston. I think he almost signed for the Cobblers under Martin Wilkinson, but that fell apart in the like eleventh hour. I think I think Chilvers had to go back to Arsenal, and he was replaced by Lee Canneville, 
who I think ended up at Torquay in Boston. And then, and then after that, he was replaced by Mark Maley, who was blinded um, with a, I think it was like an actual, I'm almost certain it was a kind of similar situation. He, he was from Sunderland and it was that sort of Ant and Dec biker growth thing. <laughs> he got blinded by a paintball gun, so he couldn't play anymore. <laughs> and then, um, I, I can't have this. There's a guy called who? Mark Maley was blinded by a paintball Yeah, blinded. It was, his name was Mark Maley. He was a right back. He was on loan from Sunderland. I think he played one game. He came with Daryl Clare, I think. Yeah before Christmas on loan because Daryl Clare was with us twice I think on loan and then after I mean I think after Mark Maley I think it was it was I can't remember if it was Jim or Jeff Whitley it was one of the Whitley brothers and he was with us through to the end of the season um but yeah that was that was the the, the right backs but Dryden I remember there was kind of he'd come in and the Crom were talking up that he was gonna sign permanently and when they got rid of Hendon there was talk of, oh, well, we had to get rid of Hendon to afford Dryden. But Dryden was, um, I think he ended up at Luton after this or Grimsby. But he were, he was a, he was quite heavy, quite heavy even for that time, which was like the, the, like, uh, the 2000, 2001. And he didn't stay. And um, yeah, he weren't no good. But there was, a lot of, there was a lot of crazy loan players that year. Like Lee Crooks was, um, he, I think he was with us over Christmas for Man City. Um, there's a few of them. It was really, uh, it was an interesting year. <laughs> I, th- I think Ian he- Ian Hendon is one of them players. You know, there's those players who they play against you loads of times. You sign them and they're a bit rubbish or it doesn't work out here. Ian Hendon was someone who always looked amazing against us. And we signed him. It was like, he really is that good. He doesn't just have good games against us. Fantastically underrated fullback. Very good, yeah. I'd say before Brendan Maloney... Uh, playing for the Cobblers, the best Cobblers right back ever, in my in my opinion, of what I've seen. I think Ian Hendon and Brendan Maloney would be equal footing, in my opinion. H- Hendon was definitely in that. Is is he our first million pound player club? I'm sure. I think yeah. he was maybe a little bit. Too, I'd, I'd say he was probably in his late twenties. I think he came from Notts County, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think he came from Barnet. I thought for quite it was Orient for years I thought he should have been whoever wherever he was when he was 22 23 he should have been their first million pound player yeah and shouldn't have been playing for the cobblers when he was 28 unless he was on the way down mm. so who would your choices be uh, Jake you've talked well, yeah uh, well there's a few I mean Hargreaves 100% um yeah. that there's like I'd have Hargreaves in, I'd have had Hargreaves in the 2016 side I think he's one of my I think second to Maybe Akin Femmer is my favourite ever Cobblers player. Or maybe John Joe, actually. But those three are all kind of on equal footing. Um, but yeah, Hargreaves, definitely. Welch, again, I think the Cobblers have been light in goal since Adam Smith was let go. And Welch would really shore that up. Um, I mean, I think... Oh, it's tough, because I mean... Um, but I'd have probably... You'd have to say Forrester, I think, because he scored a lot of goals. Um, but um, I got the impression that Forrester got sort of sussed out a little bit the second half of that first year back in uh, League One under Kevin Wilson, because he scored for fun up until about January. And I think, if my memory serves me correctly, his head got turned a bit by a, a transfer to Millwall that, that fell through. And he didn't yeah. really do too much after that. Um, but yeah, I'd say Hargreaves, Gabby Dealey, I've, uh, you know, great player, but uh, to put in this side, I'd probably have Forrester because it, it's crying out for some creativity and that'd be good, I think. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have this feature in other weeks. And it won't be you won't be stressing about the ones you leave out. You'll always be thinking, well, okay, who's the who's the second and third? But this is a this is a really good crop. Yeah, and yeah. and a bit of a shout out too. I remember 
people like Dave Savage in that and James Hunt. They did a job in midfield, sort of weren't really held as much, but did sort of important jobs. Um, so there was a, well, quite some hard-working players in there. James Hunt was very good. He ended up, I think he, <laughs> went to, he went to Bristol Rovers. He was one of these guys who sort of followed Atkins around a little bit. I think he went to, I think he went to Bristol Rovers after he was done with the Cobblers, which was, I think, 2002. And I think he ended up at Oxford with sort of Will Mott and Hargreaves and Billy Turley, uh, I think, um, under Tolbert, when Tolbert left Diamonds for them. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's... um. But he was good. He was a very good player, I think. And also, also Steve Howard, because you obviously were going. Was Steve Howard sent off on his debut? Not. I. I wasn't there for that one. But one thing I will say about Steve Howard is I remember there was rumbles that he was going to come back because he had fell out with Luton um, just before he started scoring for fun for them. It was him and Dean Crow, who also was a cobbler's loney oh. the year before. Would like they scored an absolute hatful between them. But just before that, Steve Howard had. Uh, demanded to take a penalty everyone said no don't take it Steve he took it missed it was immediately subbed off and they were talking it was just when them Cadoz were taken over that he was going to come back to the cobblers but obviously he never did and he ended up becoming a Luton club legend but I, I just like the fact that Jake not only has got some sort of photographic memory of this era brilliant when he tries test going on uh, he also remembers- I love it the Richard Trydens of this world, which is just all amazing. I, I remember, the, I think more impressively, the Mark Maylies of the world. You know, yeah. that's kind of the guys who play one game. I mean, I mean there, there's me with, with Eddie May, who it turned out never existed, or at least never came south of the border. Mark Mayley, I'd been convinced you'd made up, but it's, it sounds so true. I'm going to Google this while this is going on. I, I've to, just looked at... I've just Googled him and his, and his picture on Wikipedia is of him in a full cobbler's training kit. Actually, it's, not, it's, not, it's on Google. He was born in 1980 where he goes. So he was home uh, from, uh, from Sunderland and uh, his career was brought to an end after accidentally being shot in the eye by Sunderland teammate John Oster with an air gun in 2002, which is quite yeah. sad, but also... Well, it's sad, but sort of a little bit, maybe a tiny bit funny. I don't know. <laughs> but it's not, obviously. I but mean, like, if it had been Newcastle, it would have been even more... Um, exactly, it would have been out. Hor- horribly, darkly funny. This is this is just a, a, not, not a brilliant story. Let's just, well, I think we're getting a bit slightly too much in drama out of this, but a really interesting story of a player that I literally... This is one of the uber forgotten cobblers. And just, yeah, his, his career ended by being shot on with an air gun. Now, what can we say, Jake? That's, that, this is the quality you're bringing to the show. I think we all need to wrap our game with the uh, Forgotten is, Cobblers because some sort of maiming at least needs to be involved. Otherwise, it's I mean, not it, be t- Is this a feature? We did, we did totally Forgotten Cobblers. Is there yeah. one for maybe next week? We all bring a Forgotten Cobbler that we liked that chances are everyone else is oh, did he play for us? Or sort of, oh, yeah, I remember him making a couple of appearances, but think nothing else. Well, just because I might not be on next week, my absolute definitive one for that is the other Peter Clark, who was a left-back signed by Martin Wilkinson, who I think he'd come from Stockport, and he played maybe six games and got a cruciate ligament and never played for us again. Um, That would be my one, (laughs) just to get in there. The picture of fair-haired beard. He had like he had like white blonde hair, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah. I can't remember him at all. And just to be called the other Peter Clark, imagine imagine that. Like, not even the Peter Clark, the other one. 
Are you Peter Clark or are you the other one, mate? I just don't know. Just... <laughs> That's a really good one, Jake. I'll look him up as well. And he was maimed as well with a terrible cruciate injury. So all your ones have got some terrible, you know, comeuppance at the end of their career, which adds a, an extra bit of flavour to it. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's the end of that 2000 uh, team for, for this week. Some good players in there and we put some in and um, all of them mostly will uh, bring something to the cub- current Cobblers team. Um, got a new little segment this week, which is called Cobblers A to Z. It was one of the inside ideas. And quite a lot of people have actually got on board with it. We tweeted out um, just for people to... Um, tweet us anything to do with the cobblers like letter a we're going to go through a different letter every week and their um what they sort of associate with letter a now we'll go around the group first actually um has everyone had a chance to do this uh let's go let's start with uh you uh andy you got anything for the letter a yeah um rather worryingly um the one that, that leapt in ahead of atkins was um ansel um good old tony ansel you know uh, sort of fostered my lifelong um affection for fried onions <laughs> the, the smell the, the texture the um just everything to do with fried onions yeah i mean that was part of the ritual back in the day on the family enclosure um hot dog rather than burger um served up by uh, tony ansel or one of his um staff <laughs> I never, I, I had a, the odd Tony Ansel burger, but it, you know, didn't really, yeah, it was, wasn't really that appetizing to me. But Tony Ansel did quite well out of it because he's, I didn't even know all the cafes in town, like the park and stuff. And he all seems to Tony Ansel is a wealthy man. Very expensive, like car. So he's, he ended up badly out of the burger game. <laughs> I, well, the thing is, my, my, my dad uh, knew him as well. My dad uh, used to um, supply fish and chip shops and, um, yeah, the, the sort of mobile um, burger burger entrepreneurs of the town. Seriously. And um, he, he knew Tony Ansel and um, now and again went to Tony's house, you know, sort of a, in a bit of a sort of semi-gated community down the side of Abington Park. Uh, there's money in burgers, mate. There's, there's, money, <laughs> there's money in getting the contracts to supply the um, fast food at concerts and events at Donington Park, Monsters of Rock, Sam Bod. Take it from me. Yeah, did uh, did Tony that. Ansel serve your dad a burger? Yeah, say, say again. Did Tony Ansel serve him up a burger when he ran around his house? Um, <laughs> comp, uh, on comp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he left over from last week's game. <laughs> yeah, so, so I think Tony Ansel was very much a you know I'll serve hot dogs and but I'll dine on lobster, thanks. <laughs> yeah, myself. Uh, I, I, don't, I would blame him. But to be fair, like those, although it weren't really my cup of tea or my burger uh, of choice, um, the, the his little huts were quite iconic and they feature in exactly. you know, photos of the hotel end. And he had one on the Spine Cop as well, I think. Tea hut. Um, so, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, well, according to my really, mate who went into the cafe at Abington Park a couple of weeks ago, Tony Ansel still, he, he said hello to Tony Ansel because my mate knows him as well. So I think he still mucks yeah. in now and again. Bill Maxson, getting back at six fields just to the uh, old school vibe. Um, Martin, what's yours, mate? Letter um, A. I think, and I've got to be honest, um, Tony Ansel ended up second on my list because I think it is that if you're if you're of an age and a generation where you went to the county ground, the the smell, the sight of, of Tony Ansel's burger burgers, like it's 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 part of the part of the very the very thing, but. 
you know, being predict- slightly predictable, I guess. One of my heroes, um, one of the, one of the most iconic players to play for us ever, Adebayo Ekinfenwa. You know, a guy who came to us having had a couple of broken legs, having played abroad, came on a week-to-week, if I remember, contract, just to like make up the numbers, scored in his debut, just did did so much and his articulateness as well away from the field on, on issues of kind of race and stuff. I think, you know, Bayo or Adebayo Akinfenwa to keep the A, you know, that for me and, you know, seeing sort of my, my nephew who um, now plays for, plays for Lincoln, but, you know, watched the Cobblers when he was about six, you know, seeing him have his first hero, it kind of, yeah, that, that really gets you. And I think he's one of those, who more so for his his weight of personality and character than as well as the fact he's quite a good footballer, I think leaves a big impression. So yeah, for me, Adebayo Akinfenwa, that's my A. Yeah, how can we argue with that? Such a, a good guy for the club and fans. Even that, it would be about forty-five, and Cobbers fans would be saying, "Come back." So oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's a really good one. Sort of he went Ricky Holmes well, every back. year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Ian, what's yours, mate? Letter A. You must have a few up your sleeve. Yeah, and I just say as well on 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 Abby Bayo Akinfenwa, as we call him, so he qualifies under the A. You know, who'd have thought that the you know that first game when he came limbering on, the impact that he would make, and and who'd have thought as well when he got you know dropped for that Wembley final that seven years later he'd be playing in the championship. Yeah, it's amazing. story. But the unexpected, and and you know, who'd have thought in the the next transfer window that he'd return to the PTS Academy Stadium? But it is going to happen. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> I'm going. I'm going for Arsenal. And um, before any of our time, it's a sort of it's got a bit of an emotional thing for me. When my dad was very ill, and I, I got um, Frank. Um, Frank Grand's book out from the library, History of Northampton Town, one of the early editions. I was going through through it all and talking to him about the old games. And there was that big bit in there about the 1958 Arsenal Cup game when uh, the TV cameras came to town, which was really rare, for, one for Northampton, two for, for 1958 in general. And, uh, we, and my, I asked my dad, and he's like, oh, yeah, of course I went to that. He was 13. I think... It was one of the games where he climbed the wall at half time to get in um, on Hamilton Avenue. He used to do that quite regularly. He used to live just a couple of streets away. So he used to get it for free. Um, Cobbers won 3 1. And um, interestingly, Dave Bowen and um, Bill Dodgin both played for Arsenal in that game. So, you know, quite a, quite a historic game for a lot of reasons. So I'm, I'm going for that one. I noticed it was one of the, um, one of the suggestions on Twitter, wasn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's a nice one. It's probably one of the last occasions we we could go up against a team like that on sort of uh, toe-to-toe and um, come out with results and, you know, our head held high. So that's a, that's a really nice one. It was a, I, was, I was looking into it before, the, before and, yeah, it was a full-strength Arsenal team as well they beat. You know, it wasn't like... Yeah, um... uh, yeah so we tweeted out people sending stuff to do with A and we got quite a few back. I'll just read a few of them out. Uh, Cobblers, NTFC. Tweeted us Armand One, who's one of uh, Martin's favourite players, isn't he, Martin? He's certainly a player I saw. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm over- 
for the uh, unknown, it was from the Forgotten Cobblers. Um, Alan Starlin, that's going back in time. That's pretty much before all our time. He's the only keeper to score for us, apparently. Back in 60s, 70s, I should think. Uh, that's from Darren Davis. Uh, Gavin Foster, 1989. He's treated as another Forgotten Cobbler in Aaron Cavill. Now, he rings a bell, but I couldn't tell you when. Does anyone know Aaron Cavill? Yeah, Aaron Cavill. He was a youth teamer who was with us from, I think, around... I think he was a Northampton lad. He would have been around from 99, 2000 in the youth team. And I think he was given a squad number by Wilkinson and he was gone at the end of that season. But everybody got a squad number under Wilkinson. I think it was like Bobby White. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of some others. There's a few. And they all, and like, they all got... Um, they, like, they all got squad numbers basically and he was one of them Aaron Carville he was a midfielder I think oh, that's good good um, thank god you're, you're on this week because we wouldn't have definitely wouldn't have got that one um, Deborah Marshall obviously Warlock would be nothing without her uh, Abraham Amstrover the really quite brilliant sort of columnist that we treat every so often so that's a good one um, Gavin Foster 1989 Alistair Slow who can forget him man god we should do a whole show about him god what a I don't think he ever played a first team game, did he? But yeah, uh, used to wear the ankle back of basher trousers. Absolutely terrible. Um, Phil Agius works for the Racing Post, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he says Tony Ansel, like Andy. Tony Adcock, another old favourite of the podcast. Arsenal, I think that's uh, that's what Ian refers to, beating them in 1958. Aston Villa on the telly. I think that's when Martin, uh, Mark Walters played for Aston Villa. Is that right, Andy? Do you remember him? Yeah, it's on the 101 great goals, isn't it? And I think it was goal of the season that year. That was the, well, I think that was 1983. I think FA Cup third round, he did that turn and scored a goal in front of the hotel end. And it was, um, it was a lovely piece of skill. Brilliant player. I think he went on to play for Glasgow Rangers, actually. Um, yeah, Phil Agius also includes Martin Aldridge, you know, RIP, what a you know, good striker he was. I think he scored the first goal at Sixfields. Um, yeah. Andy Woodman from Ross Spokes. Uh, he's, she's gone through a few of the A's. Ian Atkins, Alan Starland of uh, Bangkok fame, say no more. Alan Oman, it's another older one. Uh, Chris Smith says Anfield, obviously a good one. Good, great night for the football club. Abdul Osman leads on from that from uh, mm. Matt House. What a ledge. What an absolute brilliant penalty. Um, AD Mann. From Chris Jones. Do you remember seeing Andy Man play, you guys? Probably Martin and Andy do. Ian probably as well. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was yeah. on a fixture on the bench in like 86, 87. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't remember well. him playing at all. Maybe Martin does. I, I don't remember him playing at all. Exactly he, that. He was uh, been... tenacious. He was quite a sort of hard tackling midfield. He's kind of a poor man's Warren Donald and very ginger. But he'd, he'd play he'd play Sunday mornings um, for a team up on Abington Park. Because you'd, you'd see, if we were playing the away game up there, because you, you couldn't miss him um, being being like kind of ginger and quite good. But yeah, he was a yeah, tough tackling. Wasn't very good. Got bit by a dog in a game where, um, <laughs> where Torquay United were battling to stay in the league the first time they had relegation. And that yeah. game to be delayed... They scored an injury time and they stayed up and Lincoln City went down. <laughs> right, so who got bitten by the dog of mine? 80 man. Yeah, he's he from Torquay. Torquay at the time, yeah. 
because they're t- talking about they talked about that. I don't know. His agent can't be many times as you get bitten by a dog playing professional football, but. <laughs> No, I mean, if it happened to you on the race course, fair enough. But at playing more, you wouldn't have expected it. <laughs> just one thing about AD Man, I've just Googled him as we're talking, and there really isn't too much of a difference between AD Man today and uh, John Lydon from the Sex Pistols today as well. <laughs> <Very much laughs> they, they, they look the same, more or less. I'll, uh, I'll forward it on. If John Lydon having been bitten by a dog playing football, that's a, that's a, that's a thing to ask. I'll have to find that one out. But yeah, there's some good, there's some good ads. We're gonna do B next week, and um, uh, yeah, so forth and so forth. Yeah, so that's enough um, talking covers for one night. We'll have hopefully get Jake on next week or in the next few weeks. Talk us through a few more random players from uh, the year 2000. Have you got any more up your sleeve that we we haven't talked about, Jake? I could do anything from the year 2000 through to 2007. So I think if you could, if you start that with Dean Crow. And end it with Jerome Watt, um, then I then I could I, I could I could do that quite easily. Or I think actually Nick Clark, he'll be my uh, he was a John Gorman one. He's my final niche player I know from that era. I think he's a hairdresser, celebrity hairdresser as well in his spare time. So he well, was... I mean, he was on, he was on loan he was on loan from Birmingham, and he was uh, in his early twenties, I think. So <laughs> if he was if he was hairdressing, I don't know when he had the time. Um, but Dean Crow was because he was he actually went, he played for Posh as well, didn't he? But, and he was one of these sort of forlorn faces. And do you remember that um, documentary about what was it called? Oh, Big Rob Merger, where they went it, to Posh. And so, it was. It was the thing that got it, it convinced Darren McCansley to buy Peterborough. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Dean as they say. Sullen, wasn't he? In the in in lot like, the scenes, it was like he was. I think Dean Crow was. Didn't he? he was like. He was smirking. He was smirking in the changing room when I can't remember who that gaffer was. He was like working alongside Big Ron, but he was going mad. Oh, D- Steve Bleasdale. That's the one. And D Crow was smirking up a storm. It was great. But it was it was that game where uh, we beat them one nil, and one of the posh fans had like uh, cornered Sean St Ledger in the car park, say you don't know what this means to us. And that was pretty funny, to be fair. Yeah. I, it was St. Ledger did that little back pass, didn't he, that put McLeish in for the goal? He did, yeah. He did. Because I remember in the, dress, in the dressing room afterwards in that game, like all the senior pros and everyone going, oh, we did well, lads, we were unlucky. If we, if we play like that, you know, for the rest of the season, keep it on the deck, we'll, um, we could get in the playoffs. And then, like, they get to training on, 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 on Tuesday and... Um, He's like, right, yeah, tactics for this week. Hit it, hit it long to Quinny every time. <laughs> it's like, so you've got Barry Fry telling him one thing, you've got Ron Atkinson telling him something else, and you've got Bleasdale contradicting himself. Like, no wonder the players. Ah, <laughs> oh, wouldn't but, but, that Quinny? It would be Martin. James Quinn that played yeah. for us, and yeah, it was yeah. god awful. Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, yeah, we started the following season. It would have been McLeish, Kirk, and James Quinn as our three recognised strikers. Soon to be joined, I think, by Jerome Watt. <laughs> that was the that was how we lined up that year. Do you remember Steve Bleo Bleasdale in that um that, that show? He kept on going. If I say battle, you fucking battle. He was like a scouter, wasn't he? He was. He was not good at all. But it's just it's just weird how that that era. Uh, we should have. It should, it should have never happened because it basically got Daryl McCanton in, in and got him sorted out. But 
I would have a feeling that if they'd have done the same documentary about us, they would have done it during either the Martin Wilkinson or Richard. H well, it was the same season, wasn't it? Wilkinson got sacked and Richard Hill was in charge, neither of whom seemed particularly good at managing people, but both like to fight. <laughs> yeah, on that bombshell, guys. Right, we'll, um, we'll call it a night for one night, but I'm looking forward to getting Jake back on to talk about um, Jerome Watt. Great stuff. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Right. See you later. See nice ya. one. See ya. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.